guys. Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast. This is an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, aka One Broke Actress. And I am so excited to bring you episode 12 of season 2. I don't know if you guys know this, but my seasons are 12 episodes long. This means this is the season finale. I will go into a little bit more about what this means for us and the upcoming episodes at the end of the podcast. So make sure to listen in. I want to get straight to it today because we have an awesome interview. You may have seen him on Being Mary Jane or How to Get Away with Murder or Pretty Little Liars, you know, those little shows. Or maybe you've heard his voice from Bojack Horseman or Border Town, and you'll probably definitely recognize him from his most recent role as the perfectionist surgeon of Dr. Melendez on The Good Doctor. And today he's going to talk to us about that role and so much more. He takes us through how his hobby became his way into L.A., the stereotypes of Latino roles, how he almost ended up in a boy band, how he manages his work-family-life balance with his wife, Kelsey, who you heard in episode 10, and his new daughter, Ever. He talks about things to avoid on set, what it's like working with him on set, and how this journey has unfolded for him, including getting picked up for a second season. So let's get right into it today. Without further ado, please enjoy Nick Gonzalez. Hi, Nick. How's it going? <laughs> I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. It's a sunny day in LA. I know. It's beautiful outside. I don't actually know how you got to LA. I'm, I'm trying to come up with like a quicker and or more exciting way of telling this, this story, I feel. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I came to LA by way of acting and got to acting through somewhat of a circuitous route while at Stanford. And um, they had one class uh, that, of improv. And, and when I was in San Antonio, I used to go watch this group called the Oxymorons. And, and they were like an improv troupe. And I always thought that looked kind of fun. And I didn't have a lot of time for any extracurriculars, really, because I was running what at the time. What were you going to Stanford for? Good question. Good question. <laughs> <For fun? laughs> yeah. Just to throw money at them, I guess. Um, <laughs> No, I was I was studying a, a literature degree, you know, and okay. I was I was headed into what I thought was going to be investment banking, you know, um, management consulting, other words like that that go together apparently that I don't really know what they mean, but um, things that wear ties. Yeah, and it was really the the last minute that that I said, "Wow, this hobby!" And I had this hobby of uh, theater that I got into doing improv at Stanford, and and when I went abroad stopped running and, and went abroad to Europe and came back and was like, I want to continue doing more of that improv. That was fun. But I had already done the one class they offer. So I did uh, acting classes. And in those, they had improv exercises in the course curriculum. So I could do, you know, have a good time and, and do that while, you know, just getting back to regular studies. And it ended up just being something that really took off for me. I, I got asked to be in a play. And, and then from then on, it just, it was... Uh, a, a hobby that uh, a bit of an addiction anyways I was doing everything I could in in theater in San Francisco you know whether it be staged readings or um, at the time the queer plays is what they were called and I mean I mean you name it uh, classical um, 
you know, Dario Fo stuff. I mean, just anything I get my hands on and didn't even know what I was doing and kind of learned a little bit that way. So then you decided to move to LA when you decided to do it. I started, I said to move to LA to do theater. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. Which shows, yeah, I really didn't know what I was doing. I should have stayed in San Francisco for more (laughs) theater or gone to New York even. Right. But, um, it was the best mistake I made, but yeah, I decided, uh, I was going to move to LA and I'd never been there before, you know, and I decided to move to the beach because I grew up in South Central Texas, and going to the beach was vacation, and why not make your life like a vacation? Become an actor, move to California, live on the beach. So I moved to Venice. Sounds like a dream. And then what happened? Uh, you get to LA. Like, what, like, minutely, did you start looking for an agent, or you came to I got to a job. Theater, no, you so. needed a job first, you know, so I was, mm-hmm. I, you know, took my resume around to all the, you know, I, I waited tables at numerous restaurants, and I mean, that all lasted for like the first, I gotta say it was only maybe less than six months, but, but during that time and during that really rough six months, <laughs> um, no, I was, you know, w- waiting tables and, um, I don't know, it was, uh, it, it was just a fun time where, you know, spending it, your summers on the beach, you know, walking to the gym and, and, uh, just happened to meet people who then introduced me to somebody else who then, you know had a manager who wanted to how many how detailed do you want <laughs> no i like the details i like to know how people I mean, got their agents and managers how they moved from one place to another because when you just get here it's like a big open slate and you don't know where to well i wonder how people energy. get agents these days anyway it's so hard i've had friends who are recurring on a show that say i will give them my commission on a show they didn't even earn for me and they can't get an agent it's crazy I I feel like there's less of people taking as much advantage of actors and like piling a shit ton of actors on their roster, but then it's almost harder to get your first agent and then it's harder to get like your first couple gigs. Kind of a little catch twenty two dark circle. So you got yours through knowing friends. Through like You know, I, I ran into another actor that I met on the beach who was invited to a birthday party when I almost ran him over, and we were like, hey, I haven't seen you in forever. Hey, I'm having a birthday party, and it turns out his birthday party was at the place that I was waiting tables at. No. So it was the restaurant I was working at, but I was off that night, and I was like, sweet, I'll see you there, and I went to the birthday, and all my coworkers were like, oh, what are you doing here? There's some like big actor who's having his birthday in the back, and I'm like, I know, I'm with the party, <laughs> and it was so funny all night. They were like, what the hell? But I met somebody, uh, a buddy, um, who introduced me to his acting coach. And I just went to, I was curious. Like, when I got to L.A., I I figured I wasn't going to make the mistakes that I felt a lot of young actors made. Whether I was right or not, my belief at the time was everybody gets to town and they get a headshot and they get an acting class. And then when they're not getting an agent or don't think they're working, then they continually changing to another headshot to another agent, you know, in another acting class. And it becomes this thing where it gets more about this picture and less about, you know, you and, and, um, ha- having people that are excited about you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely done that when it's been quiet. I've thought, well, what can I do? What can I change? Right. Which is, is great. And you should always have, you know, but, but you get into the cycle. So at the time I, I just wasn't even interested in going to an acting class at the time. I was just like straight up trying to, you know, get an agent and work. And, um, I happened to go to this acting class and, um, I was just auditing. I was just in the back. I wasn't a part, you know, and, and watched everybody. And she, and her name was Candy Konecki Herman, who's an amazing coach. Her son, Ryan Hurst, a really talented actor is one of her 
you know, students as well. Um, she, she called me up and said, Hey, you know, um, I want you to get up and read this. And I was like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just auditing. She's like, yeah, get up here and read this. And she had me like, like an audition kind of setting and, and it was for some soap, you know, kind of audition thing. And she's like, all right. She had me sit down ask, she's like, tell me about you. And I just told her what I was up to. And she's like, okay, thanks. I went upstairs, you know, and we left early. And because we left early, we ran into this really nice woman named Sally Piper, who, um, spoiler, but she ended up being my manager and she's incredible. And they're both also coaches as well. Um, working with children all the way to adults. And, um, I met them on the way out. My friend was nice enough to introduce me to them. And, and when I got home that night, I got a call from them saying, hey, you know those two women you met? Well, Sally went in and said, that guy that just left, can he act? And Candy was like, yeah, he's not half bad. And so we we set up a meeting to um, at, at Marie Callender's, oh. <laughs> you know, fancy dinner. And Wait, the one by SAG on Wilshire? <laughs> no, this is over uh, down on the west side in oh, Marina yeah. Del Rey. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's there anymore. And um, we sat there, and they told me what they saw me doing, and they said all the right things, um, which to me at the time was, we don't see you doing soap opera, you know, which a lot of people want to throw you in, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing against that. It's just a matter of what I felt like I was here to do. And they saw the same thing, and... We started working together. They took me to an, you know, they made a list of agencies. They took me to an agent, and the first one, they hip pocketed me for a bit. And Will you tell people what that means in case they don't know? Well, at the time, they used to, um, you know, they wouldn't. It's not a full on sign, but they, they, you know, they believe in you. They think you're going, so they want to kind of throw you out there and see how you do. But they're not going to fully take you on, which whatever that means, because they were eager enough to get me out there, and it. It ended up being to both of our advantage and everything went well. But um, that is now the late Neil Bagg from uh, Don Buckwell and Associates, a very loved agent um, who passed not that long ago from a disease. Mm. So that was your first? My first agent. And, okay. and at the end of my first year, I mean, I started, you know, I was able to leave waiting tables because I was working on a, a couple indies. I had gotten this indie, this indie film of, of like a boy band. It was in that era. like, And I thought it was more of a um, spoof. And it was for real. And I got stuck kind of in this production in, in Seattle with uh, a bunch of guys that were like, I don't know, they, they were like early days of Apple or Microsoft and they were all millionaires and they wanted to make movies. So they invited up a bunch of cute boys up to Seattle and made them learn <laughs> dancing and singing. And and strangely enough, my vision didn't really meld with the director. And I remember being let go right Shit, when we were going to start. Hard. And we were going to like be in performing in malls and stuff, like actually almost launch like a real group. But really, it was about this movie. Really touring for and I was movie. the center of this guy, you know, indie. Um <laughs> And they ended up doing the movie. It was, oh, I mean, I, don't, I can't even, I, I didn't even watch. I mean, I don't even want to listen. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, yeah. No, I got, I got, and they, I remember the producers coming to talk to me and they're just like, look, we believe, you know, in you. It's just, you know, you, you and the director have a very different vision on this. We feel like it's going to be detrimental to the project and we're probably making a mistake. I remember them saying that we're probably making a mistake. And, and that's what they usually say. And they usually say that same sentence. And I've been let go a number of times and they'll say, I know we're going to regret this sometime down the road and you're going to be a big star, you know, and they always say that. Um, 
Um, and I was like, oh, and immediately after that, I got my first SAG job, which was um, Dharma and Greg. And it was a big hit at the time. And so being on that set was kind of cool because everybody was coming to visit and hanging out and agents were hanging out and managers and everybody's asking about you. And it was just a, it was a good time. And when I got to L.A., it was Living La Vida Loca was the big song. And being Latino was like what people wanted, you know, a Latino in their project. Mm -hmm. And. Um, it was usually very, you know, stereotypical and, and oftentimes racist humor. Um, but yeah, so it was, uh, it was good timing and I was able to then make a career out of that doing a few Coke commercials. I remember me and Pedro Pascal met doing like a Coke, I think it was Coke or Diet Coke commercial That's amazing. years ago. Let me ask you a question about the stereotype of thing that just popped into my head. How did you feel about like playing into that? Because I think that's such a big thing today and people are trying to like, so many uh, actors are like, you know, I won't play a stereotype of my ethnicity. Right. Well, but, stereotypes exist for a reason too. I mean, um, I think, you know, you'll ask most, you know, women um, anywhere from, gosh, I, I think any age, ask most, you know, uh, Latina actors or Latinx actors, do you want to play a maid? Do you want to play a migrant worker? Do you want to, you know, are, is that to say those roles aren't still going to be taken and there's stories to be told from those, those focal points? You know, no, there are. And those roles are still going to live in, in certain ways, but there are so many more. And, uh, the roles that are out there, it's, it, um, it vacillates from being inclusive to, um, still like blatantly racist. <laughs> yeah. A lot of both ends. I think it's interesting because a lot of people make like big statements They're like I will never play, you know, um, who was it? Oh, what's his name? He was on the, the night of, um, Oh, uh, Re Rez, what, what's his name? I can't remember it right now. Yeah. Oh, people are probably screaming at their car radio. Hopefully people um, are listening. <laughs> but he made a big, you know, statement like I will, I will never play like a terrorist or something like right. that. Right. You know, cause he's doing Star Wars now. It's right. awesome. Like, See, like I fine. can say, Hey, I'm never going to play a gangster. But you know, it's not like they were knocking down my door for me to play that. It's you know, like you get to uh, a certain was, point too, where you don't necessarily have to, the roles are mm -hmm. differently available to you than they are previously. Like, I will definitely be playing a sorority girl and or a prostitute at some point in the next five years. And maybe the same if it's a really good Hallmark movie. <laughs> I'm on board. Please call yeah. me. But I think that you get to a certain place and you can say those things. But I, I respect people who have those beliefs. But I think you have to kind of be look like the job. Fluid the, you're going to have your own reasons for taking the job. I mean, there were there has been times when I've stood up for something I thought like, oh, this is subtly racist and this is i'm tired of being the butt of the joke you know or my race being and i'm just like ah, and it's not even funny and i'll pass kind of being proud and thinking of like you know co-workers that i've had who have been very vocal and very politically outspoken in this in this um in this regard and they'll actually be the ones that end up working on the project so for them it was okay somehow or i don't know and so it's funny that it's uh, you know they people find different things in different roles and, and maybe they find possibilities to work against it as well, you know, just in the same way that I think sometimes we can look at characters and, and um, cast ourselves out of things, you know, and think, oh, or think that, oh, this isn't something I want to do and as opposed to, well, what if you give them a different spin on this and you can play against it and maybe that's sometimes what they end up doing, but I've already been so turned off by the script I don't end up watching to find out. Well, 
so now you've come from there to here. What has changed in that time with the way you approach auditioning and roles? Because that's quite a period of time and going from being on the set of, you know, guest starring, co-starring, and just getting your first indie movie, which is huge, to where you are now. You are, you know, on this series, just got picked up. It's going so well. Like, you've, I think people think it just happens. Like It does. <laughs> it does. I went in only one audition for this one, so... People who say it doesn't happen are lying to you. That's it. Come. Come out here. Rent is cheap. Yeah. Join us. Free free place by the beach. Yes. Free series. <laughs> you just got to hang in there for 20 freaking years. So what's, what's changed about you for as your process has changed? Um, I think the biggest thing really is the first thing. Uh, I mean, especially you started with auditioning. I think that once you get out of your head that I shouldn't have to audition. Look, once you get to a certain point, there's a nice healthy way to approach some of it that gets rid of the BS back and forth that makes people commit and say, look, if you want him, then book him. Let's do this. You know, you know what he does if this really isn't out of the range or, but at the same time, we would hope that our work is alive enough that people are like, huh, I wonder what he would do with this. Yeah. And you can't get too turned off by that and think, you know, that, well, you know, you shouldn't have to audition because I've been into audition and seen people that the last people I would have ever thought would have to audition. And then, you know, I'm like, all right, okay. Yeah. You know, you got to win. You know, when it's all said and done, I mean, people talk about it's who you know and all these other kinds of things. To me, I've always had to win it. I've always had to get it in the room. You know, I mean, obviously not, you know, when you have offers and things like that is different. But what I mean is it's really still what it comes down to. There's far too many people that have to make a decision and have to agree on you that because you're friends with one person or your dad went to college with somebody isn't going to get you the, the part. Yeah. You know, it might get you, you know, the the leg in, the, you know, that in the door that then allows you to win the part. But you still got to go in the room and win it. So how do you approach going in rooms? Like, how has that changed? Because I'm, I want to know how early Nicholas <laughs> went into rooms. Well, I think the biggest thing is is realizing that it's collaborative um, at its best. Unfortunately, there's people that just, they fall into their own mode and want to feel a little important and sometimes like to belittle other people. And a lot of times those other people are actors that just want to please and they come in there and allow themselves to be belittled. And then your willingness to be vulnerable or be open and show your work um, just shrinks and all creativity but at its best someone's there and ready to play and they want you to do well they want to look good in front of the people that hired them to do the job to bring in good actors to make their work sing and a lot of times they don't know what they're looking for mm -hmm. you know surprise surprise they don't and yet we give them so much license of of tell me what it is you're looking for if they would just tell me i can do everything because, you know, like me, I did classic, I did classical, you know, I did this kind of theater, I did, so I can do anything, just, just direct me. And it's like, well, they're not looking for a bunch of people who can take instruction. Taking direction and taking it well is something that we should all know. But they're looking for people who have an opinion. They're looking for someone to make a goddamn choice. And I was slapped in the face, literally, by Lee Kilton Smith in a class where I was at, you asked about young Nicholas, uh -huh. where... I just clammed up in a scene where she had, I don't even know what she told this girl to do to get under my skin. And I just was almost frozen. And she's like, make a goddamn choice for God's sake, you know? And, and it's funny. And she's like, you know, she would tell me her favorite thing to tell me is like, do you want to be good 
or do you want to be right? Oh. And I always wanted to try to be right. And he was like, what's right? They don't know. You know, they're buying your passion. Mm-hmm. You know, they're buying you and only you can do you. No one else can do you unless they're doing a really good impression. But, <laughs> you know. So do you feel like you put more of yourself into Definitely. your auditions? Definitely. Definitely. And, and in the parts, too. And not to say, oh, you know, he plays himself. I, I mean, I wish. I'd love to be a detective. I'd love to be all these other <laughs> cool shit I've gotten to do. I'd love, you know, Navy <laughs> SEAL. Those guys are badass. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, what was the question? <laughs> how, how do you insert yourself into your audition roles? Because I think we tell people that, and I've been told that, and for a long time, it took me a while to realize what that meant for me. Well, I think a lot of it is, is, and I think you understand this, you know, I know you're always off somewhere cool, is that you got to make your life rich if you want your work to be rich. And mm. if you're oh, constantly waiting around for, for work or constantly not meeting up with your friends or missing your friend's bachelorette party, or which you should miss because those things are stupid, but like, you know, your friend's <laughs> wedding or these things that we do because it's pilot season. And then you admit to yourself, I remember you had an article earlier this year about like, I admit to myself, I never really had a pilot season mm-hmm. yet. So yet. why do I keep, you know, depriving myself of doing things I want to do during that time instead of feeling miserable about all the auditions I'm not going out on? Right. And then you get this air of bitterness and it's like a whole yeah. thing. And then you run into the girl who you always lose things to who's like busy as shit. And you're like, well, I should at least be going out for those same things. I can picture her right now. <laughs> and see, and I'm just making assumptions, but this is how it works. You know. You know? You know. <laughs> through it all. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So did it, was that something you learned in class or just through life? Um, I mean, you, you have to kind of go through it. I think you also have to go through a lot of um, work and some of that work's going to be bad. And I think any, um, you know, artists will say that there's, you do a lot of bad work in the beginning. You know, that's, that's just how it is. And I mean, there's geniuses out there in, in all walks that, that sometimes that isn't true for, but the majority is, you know, you got to get out there and, and, and put work out. And now it's easier than it's ever been. Yeah. The field's crowded, but. Yeah. But the cream rises to the top. <laughs> <laughs> she just said that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay. So you are. Now, uh, you're back in LA for now, but you're going to go back to Canada and shoot mm-hmm. season two of The Good Doctor. Yes. You have a beautiful wife. Thank a you. A beautiful daughter. Thank you so much. How do you balance these things? And how do you stay fresh at the office, quote unquote, and then come home and be a dad and a husband? Uh, well, this is the first time that that I've had them living up with me when I'm working somewhere because usually I'm, you know trying to get back to, you know, them or her on the weekends, you know, when I'm working somewhere. But this is the first time that they've been moved up there and are with me. So, you know, a a lot of the times I would have, I'd spend the morning with my daughter and right when she's about to go to nap, I would go to work and sometimes I'd miss her when I'd come home and she'd already be asleep. But we've had a lot of, you know, off time together too. And it's been amazing um, watching, watching her grow. And my wife's always been amazing about you know, making sure I'm getting rest that she knows I need because, you know, I want to be around. It helps uh, that she's an actress too. So she exa- knows. She knows. And, and, it, and it's nice that, you know, more often than not, she was like, all right, go downstairs. You need to sleep. I got her. It's okay. Because, you know, in the beginning, it was 12 to 14, 16 hour days, five days a week when it was just, you know, there was a core group of, you know, like four of us. 
And that was, those were really heavy work days. You and know? You, you got the call that you booked this like right after you guys had ever, didn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. I mean, I, I booked this on her, um, due date. She was, she was, uh, two weeks late. Okay. So instead of having two weeks with her, I only had six days with her before I had to go shoot. Oh, yeah. That's like really sweet and really sad. Yeah. <laughs> But God bless mothers. My my mom and well, her mom came first and and uh, mm-hmm. helped out with the baby. Ah, oh, it's amazing. So just finding your balance in that has been. You know, it's nice. Hard. I it's charmed. You know, because I get to play stay at home dad sometimes and allow my my work wife can work remotely. So you know, it's I can give her a little time off and, um, but she's so great at at juggling it all. Um, but we you know muddle through it together and and. Uh, really complain yeah that's the team yeah so being on a pilot that got picked up Hmm. that's pretty magical can you kind of talk us through what that process was like because I know a lot of people who have gotten very far in an audition process and or and or film a pilot and nothing much really happens it's it's far too common so will you kind of talk us through the audition to getting picked up for a series and kind of what that process was like? Sure. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very different depending on, on where you find yourself, uh, on the totem pole. But, you know, uh, I think normally now for me, it's, you know, you go to a producer session and you go read for them and if they like you, then and there's a test. Mm-hmm. And, um, now they're more, more time than any, they're recording the tests and actually using that footage rather than parading you out, you know, for studio and network. So usually even from that producer session, or maybe they'll have one more where it's an actual test session and they film it and, and with a mic and everything. And, and then, um, that goes to studio and whoever makes it through, then those choices go on to network. And, you know, in the old days you went in and you stood in front of a room full of like 30 people and you had to be in front of studio, like in a little corporate, like meeting room and they're all around a table and you do your scene in front of them in a very unnatural atmosphere. And then if you got through that, you came back that same day, like two hours later, sometimes like, what are you going to do in Culver city for two hours? And this is way before all the restaurants were there, you know? So it used to be this whole drawn out process, but now they seem to like, you know, do it by tape a lot or I've, I've found and ABC's kind of changed that. And, um, you know, then it's got to be everybody's choice as they start pairing everybody up and then congratulations, you're on the pilot and then you get together and you have a table read and if they still like you and don't replace you at the table read and say, sorry, but it just doesn't feel like it was working out and then they immediately call somebody else to come in and take your part over who that would feel like magically shit. is thrust into it and... um then you film the pilot, and hopefully you get through it without them saying, you know, this isn't working out. Um, and then the pilot is then completed. Then they have to decide if they're going to pick it up. So and then funny. once they pick up the pilot, then they got to decide if they're going to pick And inevitably they start, they have to pick up the individual contracts of each of the actors, and inevitably people get pruned off, and um, your family changes again and again, and then somehow you make it on the air, and if your ratings are really bad, then they never see you again after that first one. And So how you know. do you deal with all that in between? There's so much influx, and it could literally change your life 
as corny as it sounds, but that's the weirdest part. I've always said that it, it's like someone you like you constantly have uh you know like a scratch ticket, you know, a scratch to win, and you and you have like a nine and ten chance. <laughs> like I mean, when you get to a certain point, you're feeling like yeah. you know it's gonna you know come along, I, you know another job's coming. It's just a matter of what are, is it going to be something you love and something you resonate with, but. But a one in ten chance, even let's say. I mean, these are yeah, good odds. Great odds. <laughs> Take them. You know, but it's but yeah, you're that close to it at any given moment is what I think is is frustrating mm-hmm. for some, and then yet so far away when you think about all the things that have to go in line. It's like when you used to do a huge uh, like the World Poker Tour or something, you know, where somehow you have to win so many coin flips to get through to the end, yeah. and that's what it truly comes down to is a coin flip. So you just, do you just take the pressure off yourself? Like, what did you do? Completely. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Uh, one of my early managers, um, Jeff Golenberg, when I, I was at Three Arts and later The Collective, he he told me, he said, worry about things when they become a problem. And he immediately, and he's like, I'm not saying you don't, like, have a solution and wait till the end and, uh, you know, like, let things surprise you. He goes, no. And this isn't how he talks, I know. But, but he does kind of go, eh, eh, you know, when, you, when he knows you're, because he's so smart, he's already thought about what your complaint's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, and he was a publicist, so. Um, but he said, worry about things when they become a problem, you know, like, don't get caught up in, and there's nothing, when there's nothing you can do, your job's done. You're, you had your time. Your time is when you go in that room. There's nothing for you to do after that. So if you're trying to find out things or call around, or it's nice to have friends that know things and, and you're getting inside scoop. That always helps. But, you know, you're not going to, There's when there's nothing for you to do, you move on. And 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 I know Lee Kilton Smith is one who, who taught me. She said, you know, like if your life is rich, you're in a race to get back to it. You finish your audition, you thank everybody, you're rushing out that room that they have to catch you. Yeah. Getting back to your awesome life. Oh, wait, go, oh, we, we need you back in. We were wondering, could you do this? We just really love watching you. We were wondering, you know, we just want to play a little bit. I love that. Yeah. You know, but I but I love being excited about my life. And I spent way too long um, not investing in that because I was waiting. And my work stayed the same and it was stale. Mm-hmm. For a lot of our listeners are actors who are booking co-stars and guest stars. So which is you've, hard as hell. Yes, and, and you've and swam in that pond for a very long time, yeah. and now you're on a set that has a bunch of them coming in and out. Right. So what have you learned, and what advice could you give from being on both sides of that table? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been on that side, and, and especially right before this show came off of, you know, a few years of just being a hired gun and racing all over and, and working on a bunch of different shows at once. So I was constantly meeting a new group of actors, constantly meeting a new crew, and you would learn things about yourself, about other sets and what kind of feeling you wanted there to be. And that, that really is a trickle-down thing, and I think um, that David Shore and, and Freddie Heimer really set the tone you know, on, on our show and, and we're just a very welcoming open set. You want actors to do their best work. Mm-hmm. I don't need them to know how cool I am or how, you know, they should be honored if I talk to them or any other kind of bullshit that actors can make you feel along the way. And I've, I felt it all. And I've been opposite a, a lot of different ones and had all the experiences that we just knew the way we didn't want it to be. I make sure to you know, walk up and introduce myself and welcome them and thank them for coming to play with us, you know, and like, 
congratulate them on, you know, what I think is a great part. Talk to them about it a bit, you know? Like, if you're about to go to in a scene and have to connect with people, whether your character is the one who doesn't want to or not, maybe that's getting into other stuff and people make their choices about how method they want to be, I guess. But mm. I'm going to be recreating life with someone here and hopefully causing a connection and hopefully making them feel different. That's my motivation. And I'm just going to wait until we just go and, and I'm not going to, you know, make them feel comfortable or, you know, introduce myself or connect prior to it. It doesn't make sense to me, you yeah. know? So yeah, I think our, like our whole cast, to work with, by the way, <laughs> no, honestly, the whole cast is, is really, you know, as much as you can that way, you know, everybody gets tired and we work really hard, but um, it's a very open cast that what what no nos have you seen from people um no nos yes <laughs> um you know it's tough because in this day and age everybody really wants a picture um i guess but there's the times to ask but there's the people that launch right into like you know you're doing a video with them or something you know or one of their um instagram, instagram stories <laughs> or things sometimes and some things can be awkward um but yeah, I mean, I think it can be an awkward thing for for people if it's if it's made that way, or there's this big separation. You know, sometimes you just need space because they're in there for the two scenes that day, and you know, really excited about it and fun to be working with. But at the same time, it's like we also have like four others, and you know, I might have a mountain of dialogue in the other one, and we're working on. But you know, hell, I've even recruited them to work with, you know, they're like, hey, I'll read lines with you, you know, we have a, a good time. I don't know. It's just people just want to be part of the community for the day and, and come and create and have a good time. Yeah. And I never want to make someone have a bad experience. That's that's the worst. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd feel so sick to think that someone was there and just miserable because I know how fun it is because I feel that way each day going into work. Yeah, that smell, you crack open the sound stage, you smell <laughs> that old wood. All those stories, you know, you know, the one that smells like the most that smell what? is Warner Brothers. It's like if you're working there, like you walk in there, like, oh my God, that like this. Yeah. Like there in CBS Radford also like the 70s show, you can still smell that place. <laughs> I don't think I've been on a set there. That's so funny. Um, do you have any uh, pre Existing <laughs> medical conditions. <laughs> Jesus, this is really in-depth. Yeah, so we're taking a blood test next. Do you have any pre-set or pre-audition rituals that you utilize? Or do you kind of just go? I mean, I always, I acknowledge the rules that I learn from different, you know, people, but but I always acknowledge that I'm breaking them when I am like, you know, it's not good to memorize a particular read or read it, you know, out loud yet. Um, and sometimes people have just a, a way of repeating you know, inflection and everything, and then it go, goes into your read. So I try to, if anything, just read it as flat as I can for the longest time until I really get the words, and then the words will play out of being in the situation. Um, yeah, I think that's like, but pre, you mean even like pre-audition? Yeah, like do you have, do you always have a cup of coffee? Do you always oh, that, oh, to the same song? Like, really those. I like Minutia. You know, at one point I had this certain pair of blue underwear that I thought was magic. <laughs> Because I was just like, I was callback king. It was funny. Like, it was just everything I was going back. And that callback, I mean, test, mm -hmm. where they were like, they want to test. They want to test. We had like eight that year. It was really crazy. Wow. And I just thought it was because of this pair of blue <laughs> Like, you wouldn't. Come on. Maybe it was. If you thought you had a pair of blue underwear, you're not going to question that. No. You just you do. You can't question it. 
And so I've thrown away a lot of its brethren, you know, bought around the same time, but I can't really get rid of this book. Because maybe even just (laughs) having it it around me. Yeah. (laughs) What if I threw it away? And no, I don't even want to think about it. No, you need the good juice. I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) Okay, so that's your like nothing like to magic underwear is basically um so everyone go no you know what you know what blue underwear. <laughs> you know what honestly is the thing nerves it gets a hold of everybody at different times but what i changed about going into that room also is being excited to see what's going to happen you know and, and lee kilton smith was another one who did that for me where it was like be excited to see like you're going to be with someone else who, you know, this is also you're hoping you get a good read, but at the same time, there's, you know, you can use yeah, that if you're not getting it, you know, yeah. searching for eyes, whatnot. Um, but, you know, and you know the the color of that casting director's eyes, <laughs> the dogs, um, but you know, but it, she says at the end, if you can tell me the color of the casting director's eyes, you know, like that's, you've made a connection, you know, but you're excited to see what's going to happen. You, you may have planned stuff or it would be great if this happened, but if you have that approach to it and not go in there with, this is everything I worked on and mm-hmm. all they see is the work, you know, it's about it's that the connection. the audition I might ever get. Right. So it's about making that, that connection. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Lee Kilton Smith is your go to class are you still do you still take class are you in class no no i haven't uh taken class in a while when i have or the most recent is an audition theory class that she does which is awesome it's it's really just it's a lecture it's like her to the class and it's uh, it's hard to describe um but it really is like a, a jolt to the system and it always gets me excited about what i do and um She's really kind of changed the way I've approached a lot of work. Um, I worked with another coach um, on The Good Doctor mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because Lee is like all over the place working with everybody. Um, and I started work with uh, John Markland, who was magnificent and has since become a friend. Do you memorize things well? And everyone loves... To ask me, as I'm an worse actor, at it like, now. Um, I started getting worse at it, but then I feel like I got a little bit better because my approach changed too. And instead of memorizing to memorizing, I was really memorizing to understand. And the more I could paraphrase and talk as that person or talk about the subject, um, made those words come alive. And hopefully, you have good writing, but it's not always the case. Does that help with like the medical jargon? Sure. Um, I feel like but it's also, like I think the battle with that is making it interesting enough knowing that your audience, most of the stuff, they don't really know what it's about or yeah. aren't, aren't really, you know, go- going to. And that's not, that's part of it. Yeah. You know, Ooh. or not part of it. The, yeah. I- the idea of them understanding it, it's, it's more of like, oh, wow, that sounds really complicated <laughs> is what you have to mostly sell a lot of times, but you can't make it boring, uh-huh. you know. That's how I feel most of the time. Like, I have no idea what that yeah. means. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Last question. This can be a while if you want to chat for a bit about it. But <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what do you wish you knew? And I know it's a tough question because everyone says, they, you know, right. if they would have known something, it would have changed their life. But... Um. There's a number of things I would have wished I'd known, but... Oh, let's unpack part of, it. <laughs> part of it I wish I would have known that, like... <laughs> It, you know, this this truly is uh, the land of opportunity. But 
you know, Hollywood kind of is, and part of me thinks about, wow, what if I could have also known what I know now, but headed out here before college, would I have done it? You know, but I didn't even know it wasn't even something I did. I didn't do it in high school. I didn't do it in middle school. I wasn't into drama. Yeah. You know, I was into theater, but I just didn't see them as the same thing at the time. Everybody was doing like the inspector general and, you know, musicals and stuff. And I, you know, wasn't my thing. Yeah, musicals are a whole nother world. <laughs> yeah. No, well, amazing. You know, oh, don't yeah. get me wrong. Trust me. If I could sing, you wouldn't shut me up. Well, you were going to be in the boy band. I was going to be in the boy band. <laughs> Is that why they fired you? <laughs> it, it's entirely possible to be like, God, that guy was a shit singer. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things I wish I'd known, I think even one of the things I wish I'd known, um, I think even from a really, even a younger age, even before becoming an actor is being yourself. I mean, is the, is the most well authentic, but really the best thing because it, everybody is so alike and so scared to kind of branch out. And, um, if I just would have known how much, how little other people thought about me a lot sooner, <laughs> I think I would have been a lot easier on myself and less judgmental and, and, you know, would have had a lot more fun or tried a little bit harder or put a little bit more of myself What's a lot saying? earlier no into one things. No cares about you as much as you care about you. Exactly. And if you just get over that and realize, oh, he's living his life, man. How did you figure out who you were? That's kind of an interesting question. Well, but... figuring that out all the time. And, you know, if anything's going to put you through that is, you know, marriage and a, a child. And, well, um, for those of us on the struggle. expedited plan. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because I, I remember when I first moved out here, everyone was like, well, as soon as you know who you are, It'll really come across in the room. And I was like, okay, great. Where do I find that out? Well, I think um, that goes <laughs> along with living your life. I mean, being honest about what it is that you stand for, what you start to care about, you know, and that means caring about things outside yourself. And if your focus is constantly yourself in this very self-centered career, then you're going to get swallowed up in that. And then sometimes you can't even tell how you come across to others. And, and uh, that's a whole other thing. But... Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the more you you're out there experiencing life, you know, and the more you're 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 standing up for what you believe in, then you start to realize what you're made of. But you know, you're uh, you're always learning. But I think you just I, I don't think it ever stops. I think that's the the thing that that people don't realize, and so they they're wondering when they're going to stop having all these hard lessons. It's just like that's just what life is. Yeah, a series of hard lessons. Yay. <laughs> so you wish you knew yourself. Yeah, I mean, or at least was open enough to, you know, express myself and knowing that you're enough, you know, and then you can get to the work and then you can get to the connection and stop focusing on yourself or how am I coming across? Am I taking the notes? Did he hear me? Is it, am I, did this come across cool? Am I going to be cool at this point? Because I got to be tough here. He's supposed to be scared of me. He's not. Do I tell the director, hey, he's not acting scared of me and it says like he's scared here. You know, we'll scare him. Like, oh, I don't know, how do I scare him? This guy doesn't even like me. He's trying to act like he's not scared of me. So, you know, I mean, you, it's like, like that's, you that's get out of these things of and it's not about that, you know, it's because that's not what we're, no. <laughs> yeah, and that's not what we're thinking about when these things are happening, you yeah. know. So being present and, and less about being, you know, what you planned to do is, is a big thing 
with auditions. And, you know, the more I took the focus off it, I mean, I went and did that workout in the morning, except instead of sitting there and worrying about it coming up soon. No, I live my life. I get out, I go on that hike, I meet up with a friend, I take a meeting, do something. I mean, give myself the proper time if I need, if it's something, you know, really emotional or if I feel I need that. But otherwise, live my life and don't let that appointment at 2 p.m. in Burbank, you know, rule my afternoon and rule my whole day until I walk in a bundle of nerves. No, I want to walk in after, hey, how was your day? I want to I want to actually say something, you know, and they're like, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, Good, I'm how are you? Instead question. of turning around, I'm going to answer that question. I'm great. I uh, actually went to this, you know, this weekend. I, uh, and we end up talking about something, then we're connecting, then we get into this, and I've already kind of connected with this person, and now I'm feeling a little bit more open to portray real life. As opposed to, okay, now we're into the audition and now everything changes and it's weird and it's not like life suddenly. Take your deep breath. And you know. <laughs> as long as they say work, you know, should be a, a parallel a parallel move, you know, like you're not coming up to the work. It's life. So it's, you know, it's, it's just, you know, like a lot of these great actors can put their book down, you know, and stand right up and go right into the next take, you know. <laughs> It's amazing. All right, man. People want to find you and follow you on social media and see what your life is. Are you into the socials? Um, we kind of have to be in some ways and others. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like our show is probably like the big bummer for ABC because um, as a cast, we really don't do a lot of social media. I kind of do a little bit and a little bit like with my family. And, you know, it's a lot of it's for a lot of my family back home. And then now, you know, people start to watch on Instagram. But... Um, it, it's, it's fun. It's, it's really reached a, uh, it's, I think it's, it's reached a critical point and it's very distracting, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm interested to see, I, I, I kind of hope there's going to be a little bit of a retraction and like less is going to be more. Oh, that would be awesome. That'd this be fantastic. Stressful. Well, if people want to follow you during this retraction yeah. period. And if you want to be a <laughs> shitty person, follow me. I'll see you there because I will still be there on um, Twitter at I am Nick Gonzalez um, and on Instagram as El Tex Mex, E L T E X M E X, the Texas Mexican. I love that name so San much. San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. This was great. I, uh, it's so cool to watch your journey. It's been so fun and I'm so excited for you. I, thank you. Thank you. I honestly just believe the more that you, you know, if you truly believe this is something you want to do, you can't see yourself doing anything else, then you're definitely in the right place. But it's, you know, nothing's, nothing's promised. And it's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, humble pie. It's a lot of humble pie before you even get to the good stuff. Um, but you learn a lot about yourself through it, through it all. And with that, we will end. <laughs> Come to LA, challenge yourself. And we'll tell you about it when we get here. All right, thanks, guys. I will talk to you in just a bit. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Nick, thank you so much for your time and energy. I love, love, love his enthusiasm for his craft and his willingness to share that with others. I think that's such a special thing to find here. I also think his outlook is very relaxed almost. It just makes me more comfortable in the journey that we're each on, which we all know is something we could use a little more of. That is the end of episode 12 of season two. You guys, that brings us to the end of season two of the One Broke Actress podcast. I am so happy to have brought you so much this season between 
our makeup artists and our actors and nutritionalists and SAG representatives. I feel like we really crossed into quite a cool territory of sharing with actors. You guys are sharing with me and it makes me so happy. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. Season three is already in the works, so don't worry. I'm already uh, in process of recording season three, and I can already give you a little sneak peek. So coming up in season three, we have two directors, we have an agent, and we have a career coach, which is something I'm super excited to share. And of course, we have tons of amazing new actors coming your way, new and old, people you've seen before and people you've never heard of but you will soon. I'm also going to introduce a whole new format of podcast episodes coming next season. So if you have sent me any questions or seeking advice, comments, or anything along the way, please continue to do so because I'm actually collecting them all and we're going to utilize them next season. I will tell you more about it when it comes around. And if you're wondering why I do seasons of the podcast, It's because this podcast is at this point completely unsponsored. Therefore, I have uh, four-ish other jobs and, of course, acting on top of all that. And it really is good for me to take a break every once in a while and really focus in on all of that good stuff. And then it helps me bring you more curated content next season. So... That kind of brings us to the end, guys. Please stay subscribed so you can make sure to have every single bonus and good stuff that is coming out for season three. The date is TBD. It should be hopefully at the end of the summer. So stay around. Please, if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast, please do so. And then screenshot it and send it to me on Instagram at Sam Valentine. Also, keep an eye on the blog, One Broke Actress. And make sure you stay subscribed to the call sheet for all your news updates. Who knows, maybe some of the actors you're seeing on the call sheet will show up in the podcast at some point. Hmm. Food for thought. I love each and every one of you listeners so much. Thank you for another incredible season. I cannot wait to come back to you for season three. And thank you, as always, to Maggie Zabo for our beautiful theme song. Until then, I will talk to you soon. (laughs) 